word. Uh, it's, 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 it's been said to me numerous times this Sunday already, oh, so you finally decided to come back and preach. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I received that well. Um, you know, we're, we're in a great position where we have other pastors and laymen in our church who are able to handle God's word and and as a result, we can, uh, even when my, me and my family go on vacation for two weeks, we can be gone and, and you guys don't miss me. Uh, you, you don't miss a beat. And, uh, and then even coming back after that, preached Easter, and then Pastor Gary finished out our Easter series, and then last Sunday we had a guest preacher. I try to have somebody from the outside come in at least once a year. Uh, to preach, and I usually organize that around uh, when the pastors and staff go to a pastor's conference. That way we're all zoned in and, and able to pay attention, and, and not one of us has to uh, worry about preaching that week. Um, and so we had Dr. Brian Vickers last Sunday, and, but this Sunday we're, we're back. We're back on schedule, back on our normal routine, um, our original programming, however you wish to put it, but we are back in the, the book of Romans, and uh, it's my great privilege to be able to open up God's word to you, and the effort and desire and prayer is that we would be conformed into his image, and that's really why we're gathered here this morning, and every time we gather is to open up God's word, to sing God's word, to see God's word on display in one another so that we might be conformed in the likeness of Christ. Where I want to begin this morning is, is just reminding us and, and kind of um, maybe recalibrating, maybe informing some of us why we do what we do, how we do what we do, in particular as it concerns the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of God's word, both publicly in the pulpit, and then I hope to press it even down to us individually as we leave here. In church family, the thing that I want us not to forget is that the gospel, this message we proclaim, is simple. It's simple. It's not simplistic, but it is a simple message at its core, at its foundation. It is simple enough that a child can hear and understand. It's not simplistic because it makes wise the symbol. And this simple message, this good news, is in such a way that is good news not just for one type of person, a sophisticated type of person, one demographic of a person, but it is good news for all persons throughout the world. And get this, this, this good news transcends cultures. It doesn't have to be adjusted. It can be preached as is, and it remains effective. I think we often fall susceptible to believing that evangelism is complicated, that the act of sharing the gospel is only for those super-Christians, the ones who have studied it their whole life, the ones who might teach Sunday school, or maybe a deacon or a pastor. Well, contrary to what you might expect, most people who come to faith in Christ do so by simple means. It's not extravagant events that bring people to Christ. You might even notice that even in Jesus' ministry himself, 
The crowds might have come, but at the end there was only 120. Most of the time, people come to faith in Christ by simple means through ordinary people. And by that I mean someone, a, a parent, a friend, who, who built a relationship with somebody. And through that relationship, they shared Christ. And I'd venture to say if we took a poll, that would be most of us. That's how we came to know Christ. Or if we did come to know Christ in, in a sermon or in a camp, it was usually because we had a relationship with somebody who brought us there, and that just happened to be the moment that our eyes were opened. Well, Paul understood this in his own ministry. He told the church in Corinth that he determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That his message was not with sophisticated words of wisdom. He was not of the style of, of what might be acceptable today. Maybe what you would think of a talk show host in our day. Ryan Seacrest, you know, sophisticated, good-looking guy. Well, that's how you're going to draw the crowd and get people to listen to you. He said, no, I, I didn't do any of that. Actually, I had an eye infection, and, and he probably was small of stature, and he probably didn't look that eloquent and sophisticated. He said, that really doesn't matter to me as it often matters to the world. I came to you not knowing anything or, or projecting anything but Christ and him crucified. He didn't come seeking to build a crowd through the world's means and human wisdom. No, in fact, he said, I purposely, now get this, this is 1 Corinthians, we'll get to Romans, but he purposely styled his message and his presentation so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. When I watch many of what is going on in evangelical churches, it's all about the style. Oh, if you really want to reach people, you, well, you can't do what we're doing. You can't be traditional. You can't, you can't have different age groups because you're going to have a, a simple message and simple music and, and that's just not appealing to the world. Well, no, it's not. It's not appealing to the world. But what is is a crucified Messiah to those who see their need for forgiveness. This is why the normal diet of the preaching ministry here at Oak Park is verse by verse exposition. There's a rationale behind that. So this Sunday, we're, we're picking up where we, la uh, where we left off in Romans 10, verse 5. And next Sunday, we'll pick up in verse 14. And we'll go through 21. And then we'll jump into chapter 11. And we will just work our way through the book of Romans. Some ask me, why are you so committed to this type of preaching? You know, is that really going to, is that engaging preaching? got to be interesting and I hope that I help you all seem to come back every week at least most of you do can't make it boring but but yes this is purposeful why this type of preaching why why not more topical messages wouldn't that be get more bang for your buck right I mean because topical messages they're built on application and from the get-go I know what I'm supposed to do and I leave here and do it 
I mean, won't that be helpful? Don't we need to just know some steps on how to be better parents and, and, and manage our finances better? I mean, those are all really good things. We even have classes on them. I mean, why not just, dude, just get the gist of it. Why get so entangled? And even passages like this that we're going to see on the surface are actually kind of difficult to understand. Why read long passages out of the Old Testament like Deuteronomy? I mean, that's not really going to reach people, is it? Why do that? Well, there are many reasons for this, but one significant reason is because we want to get ourselves out of the way. It's the very opposite of American packaged Christianity. Even in the similar circles that we run in. No, make it really marketable package. And then you will reach people. But I want you to tell you that the reason I preach the way I do is to get myself out of the way. My wife will tell you, you don't want more chase. At least unfiltered. I want to get myself out of the way so that you aren't coming here because, oh, we got a great communicator up there. I want you to come away saying, we have placed our face in the power of God's word. Amen. Your faith does not rest in the creativity of Chase Sears, but the power of God, which comes through his word. I mean, is that not what scripture says? Because all scripture, I emphasize all is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. Is not Jesus the one who said man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? That's how you live. If you just give the gist of it, you're not living on every word. If you ever received a, a letter from somebody, do you ever tell them, well, I, read the, I got the gist of it? Did, did you read what I said? Oh, I, I didn't get that. I just, I, I knew what you meant. No, you don't do that. No, you, you read it and you cherish it. And if it's especially maybe if you're in a romantic relationship, you might read it over and over again to refresh yourself. That's what we do. We slow ourselves down from our busy, chaotic life and we parked ourselves down into a passage of Scripture. The reason we go through the Bible the way we do is because, as Paul says, we are stewards of God's mysteries. And as it is required by stewards, they are to be found faithful. I've used this illustration before. Preaching and sharing the gospel is like being a, a, a waiter at a table. I'm not in the kitchen making the meal. And I got news for you. You're not actually ordering from a menu. You just get what the chef has prepared. And my job is to get it to you without tampering with it. No one leaves the restaurant saying, oh, I go there because my, my waiter gets into my food. <laughs> we usually like to go to the ones where they're not putting their fingers in it, right? Faithful, we want to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God. And this is the model that's seen throughout Scripture. 
We, we typically, when we read our Bibles, don't realize what's going on. Just think of the first five books of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know what they would do with every generation? They would work through them. Joshua with the new generation about before they're going into the land. Everybody stand as I read from the book of the law. Or we think of Ezra and Nehemiah as they've come back from Babylonian captivity. What did they do? They stood up, they opened up the book of the law, they read it, and they explained it. And that sermon, I promise you, was not 45 minutes. It's actually not impressive, is it? What, do you, what does your church do? We open up a 2,000-year-old at minimum book and we read through it. And our pastor explains it. That's what we do here. Come, listen to the Word of God. So in making the sermon time simple, namely by preaching through books of the Bible and not crafting messages to be marketed like the latest new TV series, God sets the agenda for what his people hear. Exposition of God's word does not hide or skirt around the full revelation of God in Christ. Preaching God's word and all of it actually forces us to wrestle with passages that we would dare not enter into ourselves. We enter in passages like Romans 9 just filled with sticky details that mm, we don't really know how we feel about, but we're forced to wrestle with. Excuse me. It also keeps the preacher from only sharing what he already knows. That's one of the benefits for me. You don't want me rehashing what I already know every week. And that's what topical preaching inevitably does. Preacher's never forced to wrestle with the passage. He just comes with whatever he already knows. And the truth is, you don't want to leave here with stuff you already know. That might be why pastors cycle so much. Because once they get through their stick, they got nothing else to say. So brothers and sisters, our goal on Sunday mornings is not that people come here saying, man, that was a rocking experience. Oh, I love the decor and the lighting. It was so intimate. It just drew me in. For that pastor, he's so inspiring. He's so funny. No one wants the funny preacher at their deathbed. They want the person who says, tell me, and who will tell them the word of God. Now, we preach God's word, sing God's word, pray God's word, read God's word, and see God's word so that all might stand in all of Christ revealed in his word. And as a result, when we open up the pages of scripture, guess what happens to our hearts? They're open, laid bare. And we have the secrets of our hearts laid bare before us, and we fall down and worship our God, and people leave here saying, God is really among this people. That's what we hope happens. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice and they will listen. Power of the word is not in the lighting of a room, fog machines, props, slides on a screen, or the charisma of a preacher. But in the faithful proclamation of Christ in the scripture. And those other things... 
they can become distractions. They can become distractions to gather crowds of people who have ears but do not hear. Who can see but they do not see. And so the old adage is true, what you win them with is what you will win them to. And on that day when Christ comes to receive his church, I fear and I pray and my prayers for us that this would never be said of us, that we'd be found to have built with wood, hay, and straw. Oh, the building looked amazing. The crowds were impressive, but in the end it all burned up. Now it's my prayer that we would take care how we build, how we minister, laying no other foundation than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we build with gold, silver, and precious stones, which endure the fiery judgment which is to come. And on that day, the scripture tells us judgment begins at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what can be said of those who are outside of how do we ensure that we are doing kingdom work that will last? Well, we ensure that we're, we're just sticking to the simple message. That we don't get too big for our britches, as my grandmother used to tell me. Think that we can somehow, mm, I can make this more palatable. I can make this more cool. No, we stick to the sweet, simple message of Jesus Christ and we live it out in both word and deed. This is what happens when I haven't been in the pulpit for a while. I gotta, you know, build up. So, this morning we're back in Romans chapter five and first, or Romans chapter ten, verses five through thirteen. And and what we're gonna see here is that Jesus' first coming, his first coming, provided salvation for the world, but it also has made salvation known to the world. In fact, he's brought salvation near to everyone brought it near and and so near that one just merely needs to receive it in order to be saved understanding this simple gospel and simple means of encountering the living God I want us to behold three compelling reasons for coming to Christ alone for salvation so that we may be faithful to share it with all we come in contact with let's read our God's word this morning Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. Apostle Paul says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. 
For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. First compelling reason to come to Christ alone for salvation and and compelling reason for us to preach this simple message is because salvation by works is unattainable. Salvation by works is unattainable. In these verses, Paul is explaining what he says in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Our passage is basically expanding upon that one verse. And he's dealing with a broader issue here in verse, chapters 9 through 11. That is Israel's failure to believe this gospel. Israel, in fact, has stumbled upon the gospel, has stumbled upon the rock of offense, the simple message of Christ. They've stumbled over the fact that the Messiah was crucified and risen. And they rejected that message. They had failed to understand that the scriptures had first told of a suffering servant who was to come. And instead they rejected God's means and rather established their own righteousness rather than the righteousness provided by faith in Christ. That is, they sought salvation as if it were based on works. You see that in in chapter 9. Verse 32. This was fundamental to the error. That they could earn their way to salvation. And Paul's burdened over their unbelief. And he appeals to the Old Testament scripture to show them their error. That's why he's digging so far into the Old Testament. He wants them to see that you are rejecting the very scriptures you claim to uphold. And so he wants to go forward and and show them their error. But what I want to do for us this morning is show us that Israel's error is not unique. In fact, sinful humanity does exactly what Israel did and continues to do by and large. Sinful humanity will turn to any other means in order to attain salvation rather than the one presented to them through faith in Christ. We would rather journey and and go down the most impossible, in fact, what we'll see the most unattainable route, than just receive the salvation that is brought and laid before us. In fact, this is what every false religion known to man is characterized by. Salvation, utopia, nirvana, heaven is attainable through your own efforts and human thinking. Even in the secular culture like ours, you might say, well, I don't really see how that works in our culture. Our culture is kind of no religion whatsoever. Well, that is a religion, isn't it? And we have gone and chosen to go the way of Babel. If you remember the story of Babel in, in Genesis where all the world's languages were one, there was only one. And they began to build a utopian society. And, and this society was a society by which we will even reach heaven itself. And we do not need God to get there. Sounds very much like our society. We don't need God. We have science. We have progress. We have knowledge. We have tolerance. Get this. We have 
technology. We have Google. We have Apple. We don't need God. In fact, we don't even need brains. They think for us. And these little devices and things you can put on your arm and in your ear and implanted in you, no, we're, we're going to make it. And this world that we live in is building a society that thinks that it can defeat death and find prosperity and bring it to all. But the problem is, is that this society has an inflated view of itself. It's overconfident. And many of you are overconfident in yourselves because of your knowledge and, and your experience. You reject the simple things of the word and, and submitting your life to it because you think you're smarter than God's word. In Israel, Paul says, is an example of the world thinking by their own means that they can attain whatever salvation that might be. But Paul writes in verse 5 to explain that salvation by works, that method, whether it's obeying the law of Old Testament Israel or if it's building a utopian society like Babel, it is unattainable. And here's the reality. You know it's true. Some of you have lived your life trying to attain the untainable and you are at the brink of ending it and you still haven't gotten there. And yet you're going to continue to pursue it as if you will attain it. You're going to live out the lyrics of you too. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And neither have they. And their day has passed. And no one listens to them anymore. Some of you are like, who's you too? And I'd say, exactly. Verse 5, but what does Moses write about righteousness? It's based on the law that the person that, who does the commandments shall live by them. In other words, Paul's quoting Moses. And he says, if you keep God's commandments, yeah, you will live. If you could figure it all out, you will live and you will experience the blessing of God. Uh, Pastor Jim read from Deuteronomy 30. I lay before you blessing and curse, life and death. And if you do it, you will live. But what's the problem? You can't do it. That's why throughout that passage, you're going to experience cursing. And I'm going to have to circumcise your heart. And I will restore you. Paul says it this way to the Galatians. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law, get this, are under a curse. Why? Because you are, you are pursuing salvation under the realm of the fallen world. He goes on, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He says, now it's evident that no one is justified, that is forgiven, before God by the law or works righteousness. Why? For he quotes, the righteous shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Oh, you want to go down that route? You're going all in, just so you know. All or nothing. 
You're going to take that case to court. It's going to be tried for first degree murder. No secondary charges. You're going You put all your baskets in this. And in the end, you're going to find out you're guilty. But go. Go right ahead. Now, the reason salvation by works is unattainable is because no one can actually achieve it. By default, the world is working. Maybe you are working your fingers to the bone trying to obtain this. And I'm not just suggesting that you're trying to do it through religion or or showing up here. Maybe that is the case. But maybe you really do believe the message of the world that we can do it. And you really think that that next discovery is just going to eliminate it all. And it might eliminate one thing, but it's just going to open up the door. Oh, and there's another one. Which we will spend billions of dollars trying to solve. Every door of so-called achievement in this world only brings temporary relief. And at best, it merely delays the inevitable. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love us to find a cure for cancer. Wouldn't you? That's good, and I'm glad we live in there is common grace by which these things maybe will be achieved. But even if you were cured of your cancer, you'll still die. You won't live forever. Just take the wonder pills that are advertised on TV, all of them. Have you ever listened to the potential side effects of those things? <laughs> Here's just the less severe ones. Diarrhea, dizziness, drowsiness, fatigue, hives, nausea, vomiting, irregular heartbeats. I was watching one and I quickly jotted down what they said. You may experience headaches, upset stomach, backache, sudden loss of hearing. Swelling the throat or tongue? If so, please consult your physician. Man, that sounds awesome. Get me some of that. Don't hear me say get off your prescription meds. I'm not suggesting that. Consult your doctor. My point is, is that nothing in this world can bring the wholeness, the healing you're looking for. No matter hair dye or... uh, Testosterone boosts that you get is going to make you 25 again. It's all broken, brothers and sisters. It's affected by the curse of sin. And the reason it's unattainable, even the law was a temporary thing, but it came on words written on stone and it was not a work of God coming into their life. And so it was of this world in some sense. It was unable to change their hearts. And so we need a salvation brought to us, not a salvation that comes from us. You hear that again? We need a salvation brought to us, not a salvation that comes from us. And this is Paul's point in verses 6 through 10, that salvation by faith Get this, it is accessible. It is accessible. Now Paul here in these verses is actually expositing 
If you want to do it verse by verse, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 14. And what he's showing us here is that in light of the salvation which has come in Christ, this passage has been fulfilled in its fullest sense. That's why he he explains that is. He's modeling actually what he would do in his preaching on the synagogue. Read the passage, that is. And he would explain it. There's nothing sophisticated about this, is there? I mean, the book of Romans is probably the compilation of sermons brought together, of expositions of Isaiah, of Deuteronomy, and we're getting the benefit of them. But here we get a snippet as he's opening up Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he says, and he begins in verse 6, he says, Do not say in your heart. Now let's stop there. He's actually taken Deuteronomy 9, where this phrase is used by Moses to Israel. Do not say in your heart. As he would begin to explain the blessings coming to them from God. This was repeatedly used, and he's weaving, Paul is weaving these themes through Deuteronomy to expound upon this climactic chapter. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, Moses says, Do not say in your heart, and I want you to hear the kind of tenor that is here. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust the enemies out before you. Well, this is because of my righteousness. That the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. He says, no, that is not why God has blessed you and done what he's done. Moses goes on, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. And so Paul is conjuring up that theme. Do not say in your heart, well, the reason I am where I am is because I am righteous and of myself. Or because the God got a real good catch out of me. No, he is doing things according to his purposes, and it's not because of your righteousness that you are saved. And Paul weaves that common phrase from Moses into Deuteronomy chapter 30 and 12 through 14 to explain that salvation, even in the Old Testament, salvation was not by works in the Old Testament. It's always been by faith. And Paul is saying, now the object of our faith has appeared in Jesus Christ. Salvation has come in this one, the Savior. He goes on, he says, verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul's point is the word of God had come from Moses in the Old Testament, laying before them blessing and curse. And if you remember, as we read that passage in the pastoral prayer time, he says, this word is not too difficult to you for someone having to need to go ascend into the heights of heaven to obtain it. Neither is it so distant that one would have to cross the very sea or go to its depths to find it. 
No, the word is near you as it is being spoken to you now. And Paul says that this text finds its ultimate expression and fulfillment in the word that we preach, which is Christ and him crucified. That simple gospel message brings the presence of God near to all. No one, get this, you don't have to go on some spiritual journey to go find yourself. You hear people say that all the time. In fact, I hear people say this, I'm going through a really tough time. I think I just need to, me and God to spend alone time together, meaning I'm not going to church anymore. That's what that means. So if you tell me that, I know what you mean. No, that's... You want to get closer to God? Go where his word is preached. Go where his word is proclaimed. Paul says he is the one who's come from heaven and brought us the message. You don't have to go. He did it for you. Oh, you don't have to go to the depths of the sea to uncover the message of God. No, he was the one who was buried in the belly of the earth and has been raised. You don't have to do it because he has. You get it, brothers and sisters. That's what he's pointing out to us. You don't have to go find God. God has found you. And he has come to you through this word of faith that is being preached even right now. Brothers and sisters, don't look to find God or hear from God through some esoteric experience. Or through someone's so-called travels from heaven and back. Or from a word from an angel or from a guru or spiritual guide on television. God has spoken to us through his son. And Christ has come to humanity through his word. That is the righteousness based on faith, Paul says. That I believe that Christ is coming to me. And by the very words, isn't that a wonderful picture? As I am speaking the word of God and explaining it to you, where is it going? It's right there on your lips. You feel it maybe if you're close enough. Vibrating. If I get loud enough, your heart might shake. Because the word is coming near to you. And if it's there, then confess him as Lord. And if you feel it, you, you hear it, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. It should blow your socks off. And some of you hear, but you do not hear. You have eyes, but you do not see. And yes, we could entertain you with some slick props or some great funny stories and we could keep you around. But it would do you no good. The only thing you need is to hear these words and believe. So this word of salvation, it's closer to you than you might have previously thought walking into these doors. Power is not in human wisdom, but in the simple preached word of Christ. Paul says it again in verse 10. He says, for with the heart one believes, he explains it and is justified. That is forgiven. 
You believe this gospel message? Christ died for sinners. Christ died for you and rose again. You believe that? You'll be justified. You will have your sins forgiven. God will declare you are in the right. Even though you're a sinner. It goes on, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's not talking about two different things, actually. The point is, is that our internal belief is expressed through external words. This is very similar to what Dr. Vickers preached last Sunday, if you were with us. Oh, you tell me you have faith. Well, show me by your words, Paul is saying. Oh, I hear all this. Well, I've made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, have you told anybody? No, it's, that's my personal commitment. Well, no, the, the, the one who truly believes publicly professes. Some of you have been striving for salvation. I'm just going to keep it amongst myself. Others of you have, are here and you've heard the message over and over again. But you've never publicly professed. You know what publicly professing looks like? Baptism. Baptism is simply putting on the team jersey that you say you belong to. Jesus says the very first thing, you want to follow me? All right, get baptized. And some of you say, well, I believe, but I'm not baptized. Well, you haven't publicly professed. Jesus is Lord. Some of you children have been told this gospel your whole life. You have your parents who are, are living it out before you, who are opening up the word before you on a daily basis. You come here on Wednesdays and you hear the word taught to you and ministered to you through various ways on Sunday morning. And yet you haven't publicly professed. So let me ask you, what are you waiting for? If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then confess him as Lord. That is, I believe that you are Lord because you have defeated death. And you've shown yourself to be the creator of heaven and earth. And you are my master and I bow down to you. But here, that's really where the rub is, isn't it? Because for me to stand up here and tell people he's my Lord means I must humble myself. And that's the thing I just will not do. Right? The unbelieving heart just will not do. And so Jesus says, he who is ashamed of me and my words in this present generation, let it be known that I will be ashamed of him and when I come with my holy angels. Here's the good news. Salvation is near. It's right before you. And by the very nature of this message, not only accessible, it's universal. There is no exception to anybody that who cannot come and receive it. I'll just sum this up. We're going to get into it a little bit more next Sunday. But finally, salvation in Christ is universal. Verses 11 through 13. And Paul says, quoting Isaiah, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I promise you, child, I promise you, College student, I promise you, elderly person who has lived in and out of the church your whole life, who has yet to confess him as Lord, you will not be disappointed. 
you can find what you're looking for in the person of Christ. And just as God has brought salvation near to us, so we proclaim this message and bring salvation near to people, all people. And church family, this is where I think we struggle. And like I said, I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but I'm going to stir the pot just a minute to get you come back next week. Or we jowl. We will say with our lips, oh yeah, we want everybody to believe. But we'll deny that confession by our actions. Just take an inventory. Who, who have you invited to your house? Are they all just like you? Easy? Let me ask you, who have you invited or gone to? Or is it merely just come to me? People we're trying to reach might not actually feel like they can come to you. Because you're unattainable. You might say, well, I'm, I'm not. Okay. Well, then show them. Show them you're attainable, accessible. Put a smile on your face. Go meet somebody you don't know. And that just starts here. Just do that. It doesn't matter if they've been here longer than you or, or you think you've been here longer than them. If you don't know them, go meet them. Say, hey, I'd love to grab a bite to eat with you. And go do it. This is where I think we struggle most as a church is intentionally taking the good news to those who aren't like us. Why? Because it's hard, isn't it? It's easier just to keep it in neutral and go. Oh, I'm, I'm with people. Yeah, the same people all the time. We're largely a white middle-class church, which nothing to be shamed about. But if we do not work hard at building relationships with those outside of that demographic, we'll never bring the good news to people outside of this demographic. I mean, this is just basic missions, isn't it? Why do we sin? Why is Leah Cox going to Kenya? Because Kenya's not here, right? Why do we go to Haiti? Because Haiti's not here. And why do we support North American Mission Board missionaries? Because they are not here. And just as our Savior has brought salvation near to us, so we take it near to them. How do we do that? Through the preaching of the word. So the very nature of this message is in a way that it's universal to all, so that no matter what your income, and that's where I want to stress us, we, we sit, most of us, in a certain income Maybe a certain etiquette. I used to go to Cotillion or whatever that little thing was that taught you where to put your silverware. That's all good, but just know the people we're reaching don't use silverware, okay? And if your events require them to be primp and proper, then you're not reaching anybody, okay? And you will repel people. That is not our Savior. Sounds like the Pharisees said they didn't wash their hands, Jesus. They don't have their napkin tucked into their lap. They got the fork on the wrong side of the plate. Can't eat with them. No, but Jesus was the one who said, no, but I'll wash their feet. I'll wash their hands. I'll look over it. Because I'm bringing salvation to them. 
So no matter your income, no matter your education, your ethnicity, your background, your upbringing, or even your sinful inclination, this salvation is for you. For Jesus did not come for the healthy. He did not come for the one who was brought up with proper manners. He knows how to handle themselves in public. No, he came for the sick and the needy. And I want you to know he came for you who think you don't need him. Because here's one thing that we all have in common. We are all made in the image of God. And we have all fallen from that image. So no matter how much you think you got it together, you don't. And it's a good thing he does. Because he's the one who has salvation. And for those of us who have found it, it's our job and our great privilege to go and say, hey, come with me. And let me take you to the meal. And let me take you to a family that will never disappoint. Because our one who has conquered death has defeated every hindrance in your life. And he's coming again to rescue us. That's the good news that has come to you and to us. And that we are to share. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for dying for sinners. And thank you that we don't have to climb the mountain to reach you. Or we don't have to go to the abyss to find you. No, you found us. And Lord, may we never forget. And Lord, I pray that as we have opened up your word, that your word has come near to us, near to our lips and near to our heart. And that those who are here who have never actually believed and actually confessed and shown that through the waters of baptism, Lord, that they would not leave here without coming to meet me in the back or meet one of the pastors at the door so they may know how they may receive this good news. Lord, open up their hearts. Give them ears to hear and eyes to see that they may be saved. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. If you would, let's stand. And after the song, I'm going to be out in the lobby. I'll be right there out those double doors. We'll have some of our other pastors, Pastor Joshua or Pastor Mike at some of the other doors. Find a pastor if you've never confessed, and you can do that today before you leave. Pastor Chris, lead us in song. We're going to learn a new song this morning.